it's the Earth Alleluia show. I'm Reverend Billy. Oh, we got through that weekend. Thanksgiving weekend, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, orgiastic sales. God. Oh, consume. Consume. Oh, yes, you trained us to consume. Where did I learn to do this? On Zoom. The holiday sale, the hypnotic tune. Consume, consume. Mom and pop, bride and groom. Consume the kids' future with those drive-through fumes. Consume, consume. I take the wrong dream back to my lockdown room. My room. And now I'm remembering a different, a very different tune. Can you hear it far away? It's the sound. It's the cry of extinction. It's the final common loom. There it is on a lake under the full moon. The final common loom. The final common loom.
blues, all that shopping gets me depressed. But what really gets me down is that damn convenience. to the people of Ferguson, Missouri, rising up on Black Friday of four years ago, in the middle of the night, two in the morning, against a 24-hour Walmart surrounded by big, beefy white cops and their Doberman pinchers. Did you hear them barking? They showed us the way that night, the choir. We returned home ready for a new kind of activism. I've got a letter here from Philip K., from Peterborough, Ontario. Letters, letters. <laughs> Dear Reverend Billy, I appreciate your political spiritual work. Not many instances of that combination are around. I especially have enjoyed the artistry of your past stage concerts, for instance, Joe's Pub at the Public Theater. But I also think all your demonstrations and protests at sites of oppression are important. I don't mean to separate those two stages from each other, because I know you don't do that. What would be your new word for the combination of the two? Kind regards, Philip. Well, good letter. I know that our work on the streets goes indoors and becomes songs and incantations and prayers and sermons on the stage. It doesn't go the other way around, usually. Um, so whose streets, our streets, whose streets goes up on the stage? And now, of course, we can't do that. It's all canceled indoors. Let me answer your question. I would just say it's Earthalluyah, Philip. We call it all Earthalluyah which means a lot of it is a mystery to us. But now, public space is our stage, and we are discovering something there that I would like to share with you. We know First Amendment protected expression in the commons, in the parks, in the streets, is obviously key to fighting racist police, which has been shown to us by Black Lives Matter. But now we're also finding in our work that these Ecosystems of empathy, gift economies, being together, strangers too, street life, neighborhood life. That ecosystem is key to fighting climate violence from fossil fuel industries. 
from the banks that finance the toxicity. So now we're finding that the spiritual notion of loving relationships have having lots of power, that we're finding that to be true. Loving relationships can calm the storm. Where did I hear that? Ecosystems of humanity and ecosystems of the natural world are intimately connected. People in environmental movements, are you listening to me now? We're beyond databases and lobbying and litigation. Let's strengthen those intimate gift economies where we know each other's names or we're about to get it, <laughs> who we are. Share what we have, our identities, our skills. Economies of empathy. The earth wants us to do this. The earth wants us to evolve with her. And of course, the evolution is a struggle in this extinction time. But how much are we willing to change to survive? That's what evolution is. Earthalluya. The earth wants us to live, but do we want to live? Do we want to live enough? We haven't shown that yet. Not enough anger yet. Not enough love yet. Not enough demonstration of love and anger yet. Come on now, let's do it. Let's rise up. The earth is rising up now. Let's rise up with her. We will change if we bring our justice back home, back to the neighborhood, back to the streets and parks around us, back to the life around us. Love alleluia. Life alleluia. Earth alleluia. I have no idea how to answer that. Um, I suppose I could tell you to take a look at Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents. Now, that isn't prophecy, I hope. Um, the society that I portray in these two books is pretty much uh, broken. People are living, the, the people who are, are, are surviving with any decency at all are living in walled communities and um, risking their lives whenever they go out. Um, there are a lot of reasons for this. Um, drugs, of course, and um, um, deterioration of public education, um, the um, um, environmental situation, global warming is, is practically a character in Parable of the Sower. Um, lots of other things that have simply, they're, they're problems now, they become disasters because they're not, they're not attended to. And um, I hope, of course, that we will uh, be smarter than that. Are you a pessimist or an optimist? I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I, um, I don't think... Okay, what I've noticed about the human species over my lifetime, you know, Butler's words of wisdom, um, is that we do tend to go to the edge more often than we ought to. You know, we go to the edge, and then we look, and we realize, my God, that's a precipice. We could, we could fall over, we could die, and we draw back. Um, the problem is, with something like global warming, you can't just draw back and make it okay. With uh, nuclear war, you can. I mean, 
the Soviet Union decided not to exist any longer. Um, so we're probably not going to have a nuclear war, at least not for a generation or two, until someone else decides that it might be a really fun thing to do. But um, with global warming, after you've spent over a century messing things up, by the time you decide to fix it, your grandchildren might see some results, but chances are you won't. Welcome to News from the Natural World. I'm Savitri D. A just released a study from the marine conservation group Oshana reports that over 90% of the 1,800 marine animals it studied had eaten plastic, which can lead to pain, starvation, and death. A no-kill, lab-grown meat will go on sale for the first time in Singapore. Singapore's approval of chicken cells grown in bioreactors is seen as a landmark moment across the meat industry. Scientists have discovered that young alligators have the ability to regrow their tails up to three-quarters of a foot, about 18% of their total body length. The researchers speculate that this ability to regrow tails gives the alligators a functional advantage in their murky aquatic habitats. A federal judge has rejected Bayer AG's proposed $648 million settlement of class action litigation by cities and other claimants over contamination from polychlorinated biphenyls, or PCBs, made by the former Monsanto company. PCBs cause cancer. Many rivers and buildings, including schools, parks, and other sites, are contaminated. And there has been contamination of food supplies with the substances. PCBs share a structural similarity and toxic mode of action with dioxins. Other toxic effects include endocrine disruption and neurotoxicity. Illegal tampering by diesel pickup owners is worsening pollution, the EPA says. An EPA investigation has found that the owners of more than half a million diesel pickup trucks have installed devices to defeat emissions controls and boost pollution. 
Deforestation of the Amazon rainforest in Brazil has surged to its highest level since 2008, the country's space agency reports. Scientists say it has suffered losses at an accelerated rate since President Jair Bolsonaro took office in January 2019. The Brazilian president has encouraged agricultural and mining activities in the world's largest rainforest. The Amazon is home to about 3 million species of plants and animals and 1 million indigenous people. Rates of soil erosion and alluvium accumulation in North America accelerated tenfold after Europeans colonized the continent, according to new research carried out by scientists from China, Belgium, and the U.S. We knew already that when European colonizers started farming in North America, there was an increase in erosion. This led to the deposition of large amounts of river and floodplain sediment known as alluvium. Our study quantifies this increase across the continent as a whole and reveals an order of magnitude jump in rates of alluvium deposition soon after Europeans arrived. Professor Verli Vonnecker explains, when we use these data to quantify landscape change, we find that in the past century, humans have moved as much sediment on North America as it would take natural processes to move in up to 3,000 years. What really stood out in these data was the observation that for the past 40,000 years, rates of alluvium accumulation hardly changed at all, and the landscape was quite stable. It was only in the last 200 years that the rates suddenly increased, right around the time that Europeans started intensive farming. Results of a new five-year study of recycled concrete show that it performs as well, and in several cases even better than conventional concrete. Researchers conducted side-by-side -side comparisons of recycled and conventional concrete within two common applications, a building foundation and a municipal sidewalk. They found that the recycled concrete had comparable strength and durability after five years of being in service. Waste materials from construction and demolition contribute up to 40% of the world's waste, according to the study. And in Canada alone, that waste amounts to 9 million tons per year. Recent estimates suggest that the total length of all fencing around the globe is 10 times greater than the total length of roads. If our planet's fences were stretched end to end, they would likely bridge the distance from Earth to the sun multiple times. The fence is the most common human infrastructure in the world. Fences produce a complex range of ecological effects and are rarely unambiguously good or bad for an ecosystem. Instead, they have myriad ecological effects that produce winners and losers, helping to dictate the rules of the ecosystems where they occur. Some of them influence small-scale processes like the building of spiderwebs. Others have much broader effects, such as hastening the collapse of Kenya's Mara ecosystem. In Australia, dingo fences have caused traffic cascades that have affected an entire continent's ecology. The absence of dingoes, a top predator from one side of the fence, means that populations of prey species like kangaroos can explode, causing categorical shifts in plant composition and even depleting the soil of nutrients. On either side of the fence, there now are two distinct ecological universes. Scientists and wildlife advocates are developing fencing that is friendlier to wild animals. Some is already in use in the American West, which has more barbed wire fencing than anywhere else on Earth. COVID-19 may have already arrived in the United States by December 2019, before the disease was even identified in China, a new study suggests. 
The study analyzed more than 7,000 blood donations collected by the American Red Cross in nine states between December 13, 2019 and January 17, 2020. Of these, 106 samples tested positive for antibodies against SARS-CoV-2. Milk from lactating mothers may hold potent antibodies to counter SARS-CoV-2 infections, according to a new study of 15 women. All of the samples from women who had recovered from COVID-19 and who were breastfeeding babies at the time had antibodies reactive to the virus's spike protein. Detecting antibodies against the virus in breast milk indicates that mothers could be passing viral immunity to their babies. Women can feel pretty comfortable breastfeeding during the pandemic, Christina Chambers, a perinatal epidemiologist at the University of California, San Diego said. Researchers have also found that physical distancing is universally effective at reducing the spread of COVID-19, while social bubbles and masks are more situation-dependent. And here, the sound of extinction. The maned wolf is the largest canine of South America. Its markings resemble those of foxes, but it is neither a fox nor a wolf. It is the only species in the genus Chrysoceon meaning golden dog. It is the largest canid in South America, weighs between 45 and 75 pounds, and reaches up to three feet at the withers. The maned wolf is a crepuscular and omnivorous animal, adapted to the open environments of the South American savanna, with an important role in the seed dispersal of fruits, especially the wolf apple. The maned wolf is a solitary animal, It communicates primarily by scent marking, but also gives a loud call known as roar barking. This mammal lives in open and semi-open habitats, especially grasslands, with scattered bushes and trees in the Cerrado of South, Central, West, and Southeastern Brazil, Paraguay, Argentina, and Bolivia. The maned wolf is omnivorous. It specializes in preying on small and medium-sized animals, including small mammals, typically rodents and rabbits, birds, and even fish. A large portion of its diet, more than 50%, is vegetable matter, including sugarcane, tubers, and fruit. Up to 301 food items have been recorded in the Maine wolf's diet, including 116 plants and 178 animal species. The Maine wolf hunts by chasing its prey, digging holes, and jumping to catch birds in flight. About 21% of its hunts are successful. The maned wolf is threatened by habitat fragmentation and automobiles. And hear the sound of the maned wolf.
listeners, uh, we have Mike Rozelle on the line. Mike barely needs an introduction. He's a, a legend, uh, founder of Earth First, Rainforest Action Network, Ruckus Society, working for decades uh, to wake us all up. And uh, he's in West Virginia right now. Um, Rock Creek, is that is that where you live? Rock Creek on the Coal River. Amen. So, Professor Roselle, uh, last week, a few thousand people marching for climate, but pipelines slowing down in the courts. So what do you think? What's happening? Not enough, but it's all good, I guess. I mean, I personally find it a little irritating that the uh, mainstream climate movement is so focused on the size of their, you know, mobilizations to right. say that this is the biggest, that's the biggest, the largest north of Southern California or whatever. Uh, the fact is having only 30,000 people at the largest demonstration shows a failure of us to mobilize people. Yeah, I agree. And that would be we San Francisco. More right? than that, and it has to be more about painting the sidewalk and, you know, harassing the cops for a few hours. Right, right. So what should it be about? Is it really about like direct action now? Is it really about just saying no? Is it about what do you think? What should we do? Well, I mean, you know, I've been working on the climate issue probably going back to 1985 for sure, but even a little bit before that. And uh, I always thought that we had time. And then as time went by, not only did we not reduce emissions or stop deforestation or reform our agriculture, but we kept uh, increasing the amount of CO2 that we're emitting, and we're still doing that today. More so, every year. More more fossil fuel burning every year. Yeah. yeah. But when, as long as I thought that we had a some kind of a chance, then I thought that we were obliged to do what we could. And I, for one, I agreed with uh, Dr. James Hansen and Al Gore uh, when they said that we need civil disobedience, uh, but really nonviolent direct action because civil disobedience is not a very precise term for what we do. Um, and we didn't see it. And, and we saw a, I think, kind of a, a toned down version of it. And uh, there weren't enough participants. Mm. But, you know, the whole point. I think of direct action is to create models of resistance and inspire others to take action. And so we have to admit that we're not really anywhere near where we're supposed to be. And then we have this new situation of uh, the tipping points, which again, Dr. Hansen and others have warned us about that once we get to these points, it's game over. And he said this 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was 15 years where we didn't really make any progress, but we kept going on about the progress that we were making. And I think we gave people a false sense of uh, optimism. I think that, uh, you know, it kind of diluted the urgency. And now look where we are. I mean, I'm looking at a, a hurricane barreling right down towards me right now. And we're, we have sludge dams here with billions of gallons of sludge and, I'm on the floodplain, so my house may not be here next week, <laughs> depending on the amount of rainfall that we get. Well, you've uh, had some terrible floods in West Virginia. So it, it really is a, a terrifying moment to be alive, and I'm, I'm no longer worried about it because there's really not a lot that we can do. Uh, 
we had every government on the planet agree that this was a problem, agree that we needed to take action. And they set targets, but they weren't mandatory. And then, of course, I don't think any country has met their targets. So uh, we just keep missing the bus. Least of all the United States. We haven't, not only have we missed our targets, we've... What is it about human nature? I mean, what is it? Because we are capable of so much cooperation. We are so cooperative when, you know, our meal is at stake, right? When we, when we need to... Our the, meal is at stake. Right. I'm just saying, <laughs> wh- wh- why, why can we cooperate when we're making a hamburger, but we can't cooperate about this? Well, there's just... Uh, it, it's such a big problem, and it, and it just covers almost every aspect of how we live now. Uh, but there's not only a lot of us, but our numbers are growing, and we're not establishing ourselves in really tight, close-knit communities like we used to. And um, I mean, one of the things I noticed living here in West Virginia, what keeps people here is their family and their community. You know? mm-hmm. Take mm-hmm. the poverty, and they'll take the pollution, and they'll take whatever. But those, you know, having the grandparents nearby to watch right. the children, all those things are extremely important. And when mm-hmm. I go out on the West Coast, and I visit somebody's house. They don't know who the, the name of the person that lives across the street from them. Often they don't know the name of the person that lives next door to them. Mm. Their family members are scattered all over the state or all over the country, in some places all over the world. And so we're not functioning in units, cooperative units, as we used to when we were nomads. Mm. So there's and the cohesion so, is breaking down, yeah? More broken yeah, down. So countries like Iceland where... People have a lot in common, and they have shared the same space for so many generations. You know, they're they're easy, able to come to a consensus, but we can't come to any consensus. Mm-hmm. We can't even uh, agree on the problems, really, much less the solutions. And so. some of the consensual decisions that Iceland has made, like putting neoliberal bankers in jail, uh, doing the kinds of things that we noticed we didn't do in the United States after 2008... Uh, yeah, making sure their children get good educations and they treat uh-huh. their mm-hmm. uh, refugees mm-hmm. well. Uh, you know, we need to be doing all that here. And I really, we're in a, uh, a, a point where adaptation to climate change is our only option. Yeah. It cannot be stopped. Mitigating, how yeah. Quickly it will spread. But every report that comes out, and keep in mind when a report comes out, it takes two years to put right. the report together. Mm-hmm. It takes another year to get it peer-reviewed and published. So by the time a new study comes out, there's like two or three more years of data that were left out of that study. Mm-hmm. And then when we see the next study, we find out that, oh, Antarctica is warming three times faster than we thought. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this ice is not going to stop melting, and these oceans are not going to cool off. Mm-hmm. And we can see with these storms lined up all around the equator, that we're in a, 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 a serious adaptation, and um, I just don't find this uh, uh, all the focus on just generating electricity for our residential areas, you know, to be the right focus. Um, we need to retool our entire industrial society, and I'm yeah. afraid we neither have the time nor, nor the leadership consensus to do it. Yeah. Mike, I want to tell you that, uh, you know, when I was coming up and I was just a 17-year-old kid, like, your work did inspire me. And um, so thank you for all that you have done. And you were the first direct action activist I ever heard about, you know. (laughs) And um, I'm grateful 
And uh, well, thank you. You know, and you know, of course, I was inspired by Greenpeace and the anti-nuclear movement, and uh, of course, the civil rights movement. And uh, so we all stand on the shoulders. Yes, of those we do. We'll just that keep came before us. But I, I just really, it, it saddens me that we don't look at direct action the way we did. That uh, you know, when I first started doing it with the anti-nuclear movement, we didn't give our names, and we never bailed out. We never accepted uh, probation. You know, sometimes a thousand people will be arrested at a time, and we would demand that we all be released without charges. And with that kind of jail solidarity, that, you know, uh, willingness to actually sit in jail, it's it, it's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, people say, oh, I got arrested. I want my bail right now. I want to be out by five. And had they stayed in jail for three or four days, they would have had their charges reduced, their bail reduced or eliminated. And... Uh, they would have made a much more powerful statement that we don't teach people that anymore. And Mm. I just find that we're actually teaching them something quite different from the traditional nonviolent direct action that I was basically, I was raised with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's good to hear you say that because, you know, I'm doing a training this weekend and it just, it makes me think about, yeah, how we teach people to what we teach them to expect and how easy it should be and why we're, why have we made it so easy for people? That's the way we've invited people into it, but not realizing that there's a lot that comes from uh, doing something difficult. There's a lot of reward there for the participant as well. The consumerism is the dedication to the idea, the ritual of comfort and convenience at all costs. Well, and, you know, for me, the point of direct action is non-cooperation with evil. And uh, so at a certain point, you know, you go to D.C., you get a hundred dollar fine and you pay it. You don't even go to jail. I, I don't see that as civil disobedience. It's, it's too scripted. Uh, I know uh, what you're referring to the, that, that March a few years ago where you just got a parking <laughs> ticket. You, you lined up, yeah, they, you lined up, you didn't even get handcuffs. You just get a parking ticket. No, I mean, Bill McKibben was tweeting from the bus. I mean, they didn't even take their cell phones. Well, I've had that happen in Ferguson, Missouri, <laughs> They put us in a paddy wagon. Dude, but didn't you and almost every one it? of us had our iPhone, and, and w- they kept us in there for a long, no, long time. No, but they also kept, it was an ice box. You were in there, and you all turned blue. And oh, almost, that's right. We just about froze to death. You almost got was, hypothermic. It was that not. That was the downside. <laughs> there was some They forgot to turn the air conditioning off. Listen, uh, Mike. My last, my last time in jail, they tried to freeze me real bad. I still get shivers when I think about it. Yeah. Oh, and there's nothing colder than a cold day in jail. Listen, well, Mike. Your warm personality kept you're you You're the alive. best. We... You know, good luck riding out this storm. I hope things aren't too bad. I know you're waterlogged already, but uh, really, all best to you and yours. And uh, we'll talk to you really soon. All right. Thanks, Thanks Mike. Thank you. Take care. Take care and good luck. All right. Bye. Bye. shopping list. The neighbors fade into the supermall. The supermall. The oceans rise, but I, I must buy it all. Shopocalypse. Oh, oh. Shopocalypse. Oh. It ain't the blues. It ain't the blues. 
Earth of Louisville show, and I'm Reverend Billy, and that song was the Shapocalypse. And that group, the Fiery Eagles of Justice, Jason Candler, our producer and editor on the saxophone. And then earlier in the Earth Church service, you heard the Stop Shopping Choir sing that same song, the Shapocalypse. That's the situation, a humorous way of putting it, but the looming crisis of life on Earth. My God. You know, there's a kind of person who really is positioned perfectly to make that move that could save us. But you know, that person, it's actually a large group of people, they don't talk about the earth. They don't know anything about this crisis. They don't talk about it. They don't listen. They don't hear anybody talking about it. They're unaware of it completely. And that's because... The people I'm talking about are consumers, and they can't be expected to understand a language outside of their tightly controlled consumer society. Now, those of us, you and I, we're hoping for a solution. We're hoping for survival for the earth. We can't appreciate how far away consumerism has taken these people, how deeply they have disappeared into the darkness, into the brightness of their particular perspective. It compares to a black hole in space. Consumerism is the biggest single cultural phenomenon the world has ever seen. And this black hole sucks into oblivion any competitive culture that happens by. And the consumerism isn't dark. It's brighter than the sun. It's full of billions of smiles. It monopolizes the happy ideas. Long ago, consumerism swallowed up democracy, America, freedom. They are products now. Consumerism decided long ago that climate change was a threat, that it could not be consumed and therefore would have to be dealt with and so every day, a billion products, especially this weekend, Black Friday weekend, a billion products persuasively, sensually, brilliantly persuaded us 
that there's nothing in the natural world that will not be obedient to and overwhelmed by that larger dream, even the coronavirus becoming a product. Pfizer? In today's Radio Earthalluya, we've listened to Octavia Butler, author of The Parable of the Sower, Mike Rozelle, one of the inventors of the environmental movement, a founder of Earth First, and these two people talk to us about the difficulty of reaching the consumer public. We don't have the language. We don't know how to pierce that force field. And now, Amazon, the top spewer of carbon dioxide, a million metric tons of the stuff going into the atmosphere from this one corporation every week. Well, Amazon is swallowing up all of the environmental movement. It's just paying off with billions of dollars every single environmental organization. And that's what the consumers will expect will happen to climate change. They will think, well, let's just buy it. And that has been the solution, throw money at it, for those of us who think we have a solution. But you and I, we have to get that language. We, it's a showdown now, and there are just months left, minutes left. You and I have to understand a language that pierces, that goes in, that gives an aha moment to that consumer. And we haven't understood how to do this yet, but I think the earth can tell us. The earth has a language. The earth is a living being. Consumerism is artificial intelligence. It's not life. Earth is life. Earth is turning to life and Extinction is not the end of life, it is evolution. And the Earth will find a way through this extinction. You and I may not, but let's be available. Let's be ready to understand. Let's be ready to hear the language. We haven't known the language of the Earth for hundreds of years. There's still a chance. Earth Alluia, tell us. Teach us. Teach us. We know we just heard our instruction. We know we just heard the language that we have to speak. We heard it in the call of the common loon on that lonely lake. We heard it from the howl and the bark of the red-maned wolf. It's there, it's here, it's in us. We are the earth. We forgot that. earth Alleluia. earth Alleluia. Shout it out, people. earth Alleluia. Here, that message is coming to us. Earth Alleluia! Earth Alleluia! Earth Alleluia! <laughs>